The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I am your ministry host. We hope that the Lord blesses you today as you listen to our podcast. We welcome our online listeners to our message today. We have been going through a series called Identity for Eternity with a very special emphasis on terms that are used to describe the exchange life, victorious Christian life, the union life, abundant life. Different churches call it different things. Today's message is going to be on the symbols of the cross. The symbols of the cross are probably the most abused identification marks connected to Christianity. Now I'm going to start you out by first giving you a little history on where a lot of the early Christian art came from. And then I'm going to walk you through how the early Christians actually used this artwork to communicate so that outsiders couldn't figure out what they were saying. And then I'm going to show you how these symbols became fashion symbols. And that's when things really went bad. Jewelry was made. Pictures were painted. Necklaces were made. T-shirts started getting made and so forth and so on. So now you can actually see a person who has a cross on a t-shirt or a cross earring and it does not mean they are communicating what was originally to be communicated. Not at all. In fact, the second most popular symbol that Satanists like to wear is the cross. The first symbol they like to wear the most is a pentagram. So there are symbols that have moved their way into the identification markings of the enemy. And I want to show you how that developed. Because initially, some of the early, early symbols of Christianity were, were put in place to insult the Christians. Not to bless them. So we got to take a look at that in our message. But before we do, there is nothing that is unfolded in Christianity that was not predestined before time. Jesus was literally walking into predestination, predestined, pre-recorded, predetermined activity. The whole fact that the, his blood was, was emptied out, it was shed, was predestined. The whole fact that Jesus talked about the cross before he even went there. you got to understand the disciples had no clue what he was talking about. They would, but they had no clue what he was talking about. 
So he literally spoke of this horrific time period of his life, and it was because it was predestined, predetermined. You see, when, when, when the, the governor was looking at Jesus and he said, don't you realize what I can do to you today? And what was Jesus' response to this governor? Exactly. You see, he's at his absolute most perfect moment to be delivered from the hands of those who were going to shed his blood. He could have said some things that could have changed the complete course of Christianity. But he knew it was predestined. He knew it was predetermined. Every word that was going to come out of that governor's mouth was predestined, predetermined. God knew it was to happen. So the fact that this governor is saying, don't you realize the power that I have? I can change the course of how this is going to turn out for you? No, he can't. But yet people do not believe in the sovereignty of God, even though they say they do. When it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The reason why that you can be anxious for nothing is because you believe in predestination. Predetermined. Pre-established. In other words, nothing can happen to me unless the Father decides it is to happen. That's why there's no anxiety. But if you are anxious for something, there is a confession without you actually saying it. If I approached you and said, do you believe in the sovereignty of God? Most likely you're going to say, yes. The truth is you don't. Or you wouldn't be anxious. So we got to talk about what you've been taught and what's been put into your head versus what you really believe about the cross and the power of the cross. And we got to start with the symbols. We got to start with the symbolic cross. So misunderstandings and misinterpretations reveal a much broader mystical explanation of the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus which needs to be addressed today. There's a long history of quote-unquote Christians using the symbol of the cross. Actually like it's a superstitious symbol. There are many people who wear a cross around their neck as jewelries because they believe it gives them good luck or somehow protects them from evildoers or protects them from evil spirits. They think there's some kind of power in the symbol itself. Well, we're going to talk about where that came from. One of the most common symbols that are used in most of the research I found is the most common symbol used in artwork and in society and in cultures all over the world, and that is the cross. If you go to Washington, D.C., 
the um, what do they call the mall area? The mall area where all of the uh, memorials are <laughs> is literally in the shape of a cross. And I can go on and on and on and on and on and on of how many covert, subtle messages have been put into architect and design and from t-shirts to jewelry to buildings to, to uh, parks to you know, the Washington Mall, all, all the, it just goes on and on and on of people using this symbol, the cross. And yet they don't know what it means. The earliest Indoor Christians seem to have rejected the use of the cross as a symbol. This was not a compliment to them. To have how their Savior was tortured, rubbed in their faces. This was not... Oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah, type of a moment for them. Initially, the cross was used as a torturous symbol. And when they would rub this symbol in the faces of the Christians, or burn it on their chests, or crucify them upside down, it was an insult. A purposeful insult that Satan put together to offend God, which cannot happen. So this is because the cross was was a despised execution instrument. And now we live in a society where we literally make gold-plated, silver-plated, hand-carved wood or whatever as a fashion statement of these execution symbols. So you can walk down the street this afternoon and see a cross on a t-shirt and it really is going to have no effect on you. Some might go, oh, there's a Christian. Really? A t-shirt determines Christianity? Or you see someone who's got a tattoo of a cross and you assume that they are Christians. Why? Because of this symbol? I'm afraid that is exactly what's happened in our society. They could be a Satanist as far as you know. And they're using the cross to deceive you. That's why... Understanding someone's salvation and their testimony becomes rather critical. Here's our quote for the day. The cross is the secret of power. The cross is what we can glory in. It sets us aside, breaks us to pieces, writes upon, the, writes upon us the sentence of death in order that the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit may rest upon us. The one who has learned death, who has the sentence of death in himself, is the one who will have power. You see, this author is communicating a very profound principle of the purpose of the cross. 
The purpose of the cross and the message of the cross is to put death upon us. You see, we were not saved by his cross. We were not saved by his death. We were not saved by his, his, his execution symbol. We were saved by his life. You see, it's the resurrection life that we were saved by. The death, the execution process that Jesus had to go through was needed to bring us to the point of what really brings us salvation. So much of salvation has been put in and around the cross itself. Whereas the cross itself was to put this sentence of death upon us. This power of death to break us down and, and to, to separate us from sin. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He took on that power of sin. He literally became sin on our behalf. It broke him down and it literally moved him into a position of separating himself from sin into a new identity. That's why this is a critical topic for us to talk about how we abuse the symbol of the cross. The Christian catacombs, the birthplace of picture art of the cross. And a lot of people did not know that. A lot of people think that a lot of the symbols of Christianity were, you know, drawn out in dirt, carved out on rocks from the time that Jesus was walking the face of the earth. Well, there is a little truth to that because Jesus primarily used pictorial Hebrew. And he was not fond of communicating in the Greek. In fact, he didn't. And so with Hebrew, there are a lot of pictures. And yes, in pictorial Hebrew, you do see a lot of the symbols that we use today to communicate Christianity. But all of these symbols that you see on church signs did not come from Hebrew. They came from the catacombs. It's the graveyard. Catacombs are, are the graveyards. There are catacombs all the way around the city of Rome. They're about eight stories deep. And initially what would happen is the commoner would be buried in these catacombs and it was only royalty or important people that were buried on the surface. And they were buried in surface tombs. It's a cement casket looking thing sitting on top of the ground. Classically, only masons are buried in these structures today. Because there's a direct connection between the masons and the initial influencers of the catacombs. That's not what our message is about today, but I just want you to, to see. You can literally walk into your cemetery this afternoon and see some of these cement you know, tombs on top of the dirt. It's because they can't be buried under 
the dirt. Under the dirt is commoner. Above the dirt is royalty. So if they are a certain degree mason, they have to be buried above ground. Doesn't always happen, of course, because it's extremely expensive. But that is the, the uh, belief system behind it. Came from Rome. So the big boys were buried on top of the soil and the commoners were buried under the soil. The reason why that when someone dies and you go to a funeral and you drive off to the cemetery and there's a six-foot hole dug, that six foot is literally measured out from the catacombs. The traditions that you have in funerals today are literally birthed out of the catacombs. I'm just going to show you a few snapshots regard to the artwork that's in the catacombs. So here's what would happen. If you were an outspoken, indwelt Christian, and a Roman soldier turned you over to the higher courts, and they decided that your life must come to an end, you would get persecuted in a very significant way. And there is a list of ways that they would choose from to bring about a slow death for you. The louder you were, the more public you were, the more they thought through the type of execution you were going to have. If you were a quiet communicator of the gospel, in other words, you did it more by lifestyle, oftentimes they would just Lop your head off and it'd be done. So all this stuff is connected in history primarily to Rome. It's where a lot of this stuff started. It's a lot of, where a lot of execution and persecution started. Then they would take your body into the catacombs and they would stuff it in a hole. The, the actual environment down there is that there is a soft clay type of dirt that sits on top of volcanic rock. If you remove the soft clay, the volcanic rock starts to dry out a bit and you can literally dig into it with a spoon. And then once air is exposed to it for a certain period of time, it turns rock hard. And so they literally have been able to build a city under the ground because of this principle. Catacombs, you would think, are as wide as this pulpit. Yes, a lot of the passageways are that narrow. But there are literally cathedrals built underneath ground. Now, they're not cathedrals like we see in England or certain parts of Europe, but I'm going to show you a couple pictures of how these rumors of Christians would hide out in the catacombs with dead people and have church services. Because the Romans would not go down there with the dead bodies because it stunk. And it was a cemetery, basically. In fact, a part of the Roman religious belief system is the spirits are still down there. They didn't want to go down there. So it became a perfect place to have church in the catacombs. Allow me to show you some of their church buildings. 
This is one of the narrow passageways, okay? I got another picture of a guy, he's literally standing there like this. And what they would do, let's say that Jess got beheaded because she was an outspoken Christian. And this is the most common way that they would deal with Christians and Jews. Is they just cut your head off. So they take the head and your body. Sometimes they would do the execution literally in the catacombs. They would stuff your body in one of these little holes. And they'd hang on to your head. And I'll show you what they did with them. This is one of the cathedrals built in the catacombs. This is a very large room. There are many of these open areas that are in the catacombs. You've got to remember, it's 318 miles of catacombs. This is not, I'm just going to go to the museum and, you know, catacombs and you spend an hour or two down there. It would take you a week to get through them all. But there is a section called the Christian catacombs. And there are very famous saints that are buried in these catacombs that have their engravings above their burial spot. That's how we found some of them. Okay? But there's also popes that are buried down here. There's mistresses of, of Catholic priests behind a certain wall. And the list goes on and on and on. It's a very interesting piece of history if you want to research it. But this would be a very common place for Christians to gather and have a church service. And if the Romans are coming, the Romans are coming, they could take off in these catacombs and be gone and hide and never be found. So, plus the Roman soldiers not wanting to go and chase down every hallway of the catacombs. And if you see a, a site map looking down on the catacombs, you go, this is unbelievable. So it became the safest place to hide for Christians. This is one of the nookies that's in the Christian catacombs. Something very interesting is that there are Catholic symbols all over the walls. And uh, actually the picture being smaller, you can see the symbols better. I tried to find a clearer picture blown up, but, but this is the best I could do. But there's a particular symbol I want you to keep in mind as I start walking you through the symbols. This symbol has been classically associated with Protestants. But I'm going to show you that that is not true. Yes, the Luther bunch did take it from the Catholic Church and began to place it as a, as a marker on their development of the Lutherans. Okay, But this whole area here was carved out because whoever it is that's buried there is of power and influence but still couldn't be buried above ground, which probably means it was a um, cardinal, someone fairly high up in the Catholic Church would be my guess. This guy is actually pointing out some of these symbols. So, 
This is a, a symbol here, and I'll show you kind of a front view in a few minutes. But this is a symbol of a Christ child, the little lamb, and it was communicating probably and initially what that portion of the catacomb is about religiously. And that's how the catacombs work. You look at the symbols to see whose bones are stuffed in that hole. What type of group would meet in that room? And so forth and so on. These symbols right here of this X. And you're also going to find a shocking symbol show up once in a while. And we're more familiar with this symbol as the uh, swastika. It was an actual catacomb symbol for Christians to communicate. It later got adopted by other cultures and twisted into some very bad things. Here's someone of royalty that's, that's uh, in the catacombs. And that's the superstition that comes with the catacombs is the way they were left is the way you better leave them. And so I've never been there, so I don't know how or if this section is guarded. I would assume that it would be since there are jewels on, on some of these people. But these could be very high uh, official leaders in either a religious group or could be a political group. And what, hap what would happen is, is if they were not killed purposely, and they would die, they would have to be buried below ground. Uh, so it could be a governor of a particular territory that was developing into a country. And it was a threat to Rome. God only knows the stories that go with a lot of these things. This is one of the classic views, and, and there are hundreds of pictures I went through. And this is a scene that... Um, was very common in the catacombs. They would literally build hallways and their their underground cathedrals sometimes would be lined with with skulls and this X made out of the bones, which is where we get our skull and bones. That symbol is from the catacombs. These people here were beheaded and their heads were literally turned into walls. Although the, the fact that you have three priests standing and guarding this, the part that I read on this, was that there's an assumption that the Catholic Church is hiding something behind this wall. And they can't tear into it. And these three priests are guarding it for eternity. I really do want to go... And put this on my tour list. Because just spending four or five hours researching this for a very quick synopsis of what I'm giving you now was extremely fascinating to me. Here's a sample of, of a hallway, and there are many of these. The, on this side... And on this side, coming around, there's another hall that goes off this way. It is all skulls and crossbones. And here's what would happen. To this very day, 
there are persecutors, primarily Muslim. They would drag Christians into the catacombs today. And they would torture you. And they would just leave you. And it would turn to bone, of course. And then the bones were literally used to continue to build the walls and the structure of the catacombs. It was picture after picture after picture of skulls and bones. I'm sure some of them were taken out of the burial spots and then continued to make, you know, these hallways and rooms out of them. But uh, I read quite a bit on this kind of thing that would happen. It was a place of persecution and probably still is. Here's some of the picture art that is in the catacombs. This here is where uh, it's hard to see because of the picture being blown up, but they're, they're just bones laying there. And that's very common. You would just walk these halls, look into these little cavities, and just see bones in there. And then there would be a scene oftentimes above these, these grave spots that would mark either who was in it or what their message was all about. And this one happens to communicate Jesus Christ and supposedly his disciples. Some of our pictures that artists have painted through the centuries have come from the catacombs. Jesus in the, the Last Supper picture came from the catacombs. This is Jesus with the Greek Alpha and Omega. This is just kind of a blow up of that. And this is Lion and Daniel. And uh, I'm not even sure this guy couldn't find any research on it, but this artwork, this is Jesus and the Lambs. In that picture that I showed you where the guy's pointing to it on the ceiling is the Christ child and the lambs. Here's some of the actual symbols. I guess there are thousands of them carved on the walls, ceilings of the catacomb. But what I want you to see is where a lot of the symbols came from. Remember the picture I just showed you that was on June Hunt's front building where you have the cross and the actual anchor and also the fish hooks. Three symbols in one, although that one has four. You have the dove, of course, with the peace symbol. You got fish. You have uh, this here is a measuring device. And uh, in fact, you will find Masonic symbols all through the catacombs. And uh, they were uh, lower degreed, I'm assuming. And uh, oftentimes the symbols communicated exactly that. But out of all of these symbols that we're going to be talking about, this symbol became the primary singled out symbol that true into what Christians used. Many of the other symbols that you're going to see were twisted up a bit by other religious groups that appear to be Christian, 
but a lot of times is a mockery of Christianity. Here's some more of those pictures. Here's the cross with the anchor and the fish hooks. Here's the symbol that was in that, uh, that particular part of the catacombs that I showed you. And uh, during the early church, you're going to find a lot of symbols where the cross is not typical. What we're used to seeing is the short board going this way and the long board going this way. You see more of an X. And that X is communicating the style of execution. So what they would do is take this, this cross, literally, they would tip it on its side so that they would string the person out, four limbs go on these, these, these boards, and they would torture them in very creative ways. So when you see this on above one of the areas that they would put the bones, oftentimes they were communicating from what we understand of how they were persecuted. And this is an example of that. These symbols <clears throat> that were found in the catacomb, history uh, basically believes that this, these symbols were oftentimes used to communicate to each other without the Romans and others figuring out who you're talking about and what you're talking about. So they associated symbols with each of the disciples and other leaders as well. And I just want to show you some of the symbols that were found in the catacombs that were associated with disciples. Andrew, for example, he was a builder. So you have the builder's... Um, what do you call it? Tractor scale? Whatever. You have the crossed fish. You have the symbol of the cross on the shield. You have the symbol of the cross, the X cross on the shield with the upside down fish hook. Each of those communicating something about Andrew's life. So there is a a data sheet on each of the guys with these symbols and uh, be fun to uh, get that for you. So I decided to leave it alone because I might want to do a series on the disciples someday. But Andrew was uh, supposedly persecuted by the form of the X. Bartholomew, we have three nice because he was basically diced up like cheese. And you have the jihadist knife, which, was, which history does show that he was beheaded after that. And then you have the, the, um, the radish sprout, which was communicating more of how he, he uh, functioned. As, I don't think being bitter, but I think as being probably an element of being a spicy communicator. And then it's stretched tied out on the cross. All those being used to communicate about Bartholomew 
uh, during the early days. Then James, son of thunder. The shells are, were uh, used to scoop up water in those days. The three shells going, uh, setting themselves off by themselves was a, a statement of communication of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the living water. The fact that he was a sword bearer of the word, most people believe, but some believe he, being a son of thunder, he carried his sword as well. And so he was handing out living water and probably uh, very open to protecting himself and others if need be. And that's some of the things you'll discover about some of the disciples if you do a true history run on them is that they were not necessarily pacifist. They were very, very... uh, Progressive and sometimes aggressive. James, Jesus' half-brother, is where the symbol of the, literally the Dutch people put together the the windmills based upon this principle. The windmill was a symbol used to communicate about Jesus' half-brother. The three stones, solid rock upon this rock. That whole concept of Jesus being, you know, the rock of our salvation. The three rocks, you'll see that. Uh, throughout the symbols for the disciples is they will use three blades, the word of God sharper than a two-edged sword, three shells, three rocks, and so forth. He was clubbed to death, and then he was sawed in half. And then John the Beloved, you have the symbols of the, the uh, eagle. The eagle is to this day the primary symbol for John. It's why America and other countries have used the, the eagle symbol, being a brother of love and compassion. And of course, we know a lot of what Jesus has said about John is beloved. The fact that the eagle is coming out of the pot is they tried to boil uh, him to death, and it didn't work. He literally got out of the pot and walked away. And the same thing with the snake in the chalice. He was uh, bit by a snake, and nothing happened. And so they knew there was something special about John. And if you remember, the primary disciple that came from John was who? They tried to burn him many times and he wouldn't burn. Huh? Just say it out loud. Polycarp. And they finally stabbed him 23 times to get his heart stopped. So the discipler, oftentimes the disciplee, literally is protected and adopts the same type of characteristics. But that's John the Beloved. John the Baptist, of course, you've got, you've got the bee, you've got the, the uh, belt, you've got his uh, bear coat. And then this is the primary symbol that we remember him by to this day. And that is the lamb. He's ushering in the lamb of life. The final sacrifice is coming. He was basically laying out the pathway, the brick pavement for Jesus to come in. And he's going to go through, um, you know, it's holy, obviously, which is always what this means. The X behind there 
being the, it's a form of torture. I'll explain that in a minute. And of course, the cross of Jesus Christ. Judas, the one who uh, betrayed, these are little coins, and there's 30 of them. And then the rope, he hung himself, and that is in his initial, of course. And then Jude, you have a ship. And since there's so many of these, I'll just point out some of the interesting instruments. But crucified, upside down, beaten, stabbed. He was also a builder. And uh, the rod and thy staff that comfort me. What we're used to seeing this is a whaling stick. But the truth being, that's a rod and thy staff comfort. These were oftentimes, you had a hook and a rod on the same stick. And shepherds would carry these. They would poke the sheep to motivate them. They would hook them if they go too far. And that's what those symbolize. Matthew was a tax gatherer. And of course, now it's in the symbol of the Trinity. And then you've got the, I forget what these are called. Um, but the, uh, supposedly the way that he died was through these um, hammer slash sword type of things. And then... Uh, Paul up here, there's a story, of course, with Paul and the snake coming out of the fire. Similar a story when Jesus talked about, you shall be bitten by scorpions and snakes and you shall not die. Paul has got several testimonies of that. And then uh, his style of execution was one of the most brutal of uh, being sliced and diced. He was also known for you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Well, his living by the sword was a sword of the Spirit. He not only knew the word well, he was literally uh, one that was chosen to um, write the word that we cling to to this day. Peter's a bunch of symbols with him. Of course, the rooster before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. He was a fisher of men. He was a fisherman in real life. And he was given the keys, you know, handed the keys, as the scripture tells us about. He too was uh, tortured endlessly. Poor Peter really had to go through it. And uh, also that axe looking thing, combination axe sword thing, was uh, oftentimes used to behead them. And most of the time that's what it was communicated as they were beheaded after it was all over. Of course, the upside-down cross. One of the earlier signs of co-crucifixion with Jesus is the double, double cross that you see there at the top. I have been crucified with Christ. It's my cross to bear. And then the cross of Jesus Christ, which you see with Peter. You see it here with Philip. And supposedly that's what's being communicated. Now, the crosses themselves, as you can tell, these, were, these symbols were adopted from Greeks to Egyptians. I mean, the Ankh, for example, is a cross with the eternal loop on top of it. So the cross itself has been a symbol way before Jesus. 
And there are cultures that use the symbol of the cross to communicate certain things way before Jesus was put on it. The cross wasn't invented when they decided to persecute Jesus. The cross had been used most frequently when Jesus was put on it. So the cross and the symbol of the cross has been around for a very, very long time. The first time that it really shows up as a Christian symbol was here out of the catacombs. But up till then, the the Ankh and other cultures were using this symbol to communicate their thing about the cross. The Greeks were into eternal loops. Whenever you see a circle around something, oftentimes it's associated with Greek. When you see the pentagram with a circle around it versus just a pentagram, communicates two separate things. The peace symbol, and then it, it put the peace symbol, symbol being put inside of a circle communicates something, which I'll show you in a few minutes. And here you have the broken armed cross of the X that early Christians did use as a symbol. Now, they're not quite sure whether it was used to say they're under persecution, is they are breaking us, or if it was a positive symbol. But it is in the catacombs. Of course, who do we know that adopted that and made it famous? Hitler. Mankind has always utilized symbols to give expression of their abstract ideas. Early Christians developed a symbol of the fish, not the cross. Because the Greek word fish is actually, and still is, exus, used to communicate Jesus Christ, God's Son. Forever, actually. So if you really want to use a symbol that was originally connected to the group that was hiding from these symbol bearers, it is the fish. So if you saw the fish carved out above a tomb, most likely there was a Christian buried there. If you saw a fish carved out uh literally on someone's body because someone was mocking them as Christians in their execution, it probably means they were a Christian, and so forth and so on. That is not necessarily true about the cross. Too many cultures use it. Of course, the dove was used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And the 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 bird that was... that. Noah sent out to fly around to see if the bird could land and, you know, came back with the, what we know as the peace branch. That bird that was sent out was the symbol for Noah. Noah was the symbol of the father. And then Noah's obedient son, which the other two sons were forced to serve. What was his name? Not Japheth. You had Ham, you had Japheth, and you had Shem. And 
Ham's descendants and Japheth's descendants were obligated to serve Shem. Shem's lineage became the lineage, the symbol of Jesus Christ. So you had God the Father, God the Son, and then that bird which was representative of the Holy Spirit of peace. It's everywhere. And a lot of these symbols they use very early on. The primary emphasis of the early Christian preaching was the resurrection, life of Jesus Christ, not the cross. So much of our preaching and teaching today is about the cross. We're even doing it. But the real power comes through through the power of resurrection. The power of sin was being dealt with on the cross. The power of resurrected life was given when Jesus walked out of that tomb. That's when the real stuff began to happen. Next slide tells us this. The cross as a symbol was further entrenched as the primary symbol of Christian religion after the Roman emperor Constantine, who was a devout Roman Catholic, claimed to have seen a flaming cross in the sky. In fact, he used this symbol of the flaming cross as the permission base vision to actually use the sword in the church. The history of the Roman Catholic Church slaughtering Christians and devout Christians throughout the Roman Catholic uh, history, continuous history as well as their old history, I mean, the, there was pope, two popes ago that came out and repented for all that. I mean, they acknowledged that they went through hundreds and hundreds of years of just slaughtering Protestants. Well, they're not, they weren't Protestants. They were indwelt believers. They were catacomb believers. Who were the Christians hiding from in the catacombs? It was the Roman state church. And this guy, who we have accredited of being a significant Christian in church history, was nothing more than someone who was dedicated to the Roman-controlled state church that got self-permission through a vision that he had to slaughter protesters. And that's exactly what began to happen. 200 years. It's the greatest Christian slaughter known in church history. 200 years of slaughtering. The seven churches were removed because of this man's vision of a flaming cross. Now, I do believe he saw it. But I doubt it was Jesus Christ that gave him the vision. His own mother, who was a dedicated Roman state worshiper. Now these are significant doctrinal pieces that were established in the Roman state church because of these two. She ran her son because she was a devout E of the Roman state church was not called Catholicism back then. 
And she supposedly found the real cross on one of her trips to the Holy Lands. She brings this cross back and she starts shaving off, or the church starts shaving off pieces of this cross and starts selling it. to build their first cathedral. Which is started what is classified, she is actually considered the mother of indulgences. She and her act of selling off these relics and chipping off pieces of these relics and selling them to wealthy Roman state devotees is how initially the huge Roman Empire built these unbelievable structures early on in quote-unquote church history. So her being the mother of indulgences put her in a position of helping the early church establish the whole idolatry that comes with relics. And that is just another word for symbols. There is only one church that popularized the symbol of the cross. There's only one. Others joined later, but there is only one. And that was the Roman State Church. The very people who slaughtered the people on that cross. Or upside down. Or stretched out. It's unbelievable what has slipped by church history. I mean, you'd literally have to be kind of a historian to be able to speak like I speak. I can't even tell you the number of hours that I research. And I'm into some good old history books. Some recorded stuff that is available for everyone, but no one wants to look at it. And to have a pope come forward and say, I'm sorry, yeah, we really did that. Well, you think that hit the news? No. So the new image that's being projected, I'm going to show you a symbol that they're using of a peace symbol with all these symbols, ancient symbols of the cross as their way of communicating this one world government and one world religion. And you're already seeing it on kids' t-shirts today. Coexistence. It's already here today. The problem with symbols is that since they are more tangible than the abstract reality, religious people tend to gradually turn them into being very superstitious. Have you ever seen a movie where some priest holds up a cross? Or they take the cross, this is my favorite. And I don't mean to offend faithful, loyal Catholic followers because we have a lot of them in our, our podcast list. And I do hear from some of you. I'm not out to offend you as a believer. I have a great love for people within the Catholic Church, just like I do the Muslims. But I am here to tell you that there's a lot of demonic doctrines that are inside your religious system. The, the fact that, that crosses are used, and if you defame that cross... 
there is a certain punishment you have to pay in that religious system. And then there are uh, certain stories of having statues crying or bleeding or having blood come out of the cross that's up on the wall. This is beyond idolatry, and I hope my listeners are listening very carefully. Whether there was magician work involved in it, or whether there was simply supernatural things involved with it, I'm here to tell you that is demonic. Looking at statues and seeing them bleed and falling on your face and praying to Mary or praying to Saint whoever, to what it, it's demonic. There's no life in that. And it's a system that Satan put together from these relics. From the mother who drove her son to become a faithful follower of this new Roman state church movement. Constantine was not an indwelt Christian leader in church history. There's too much written about him how he was faithful to the Roman state church that was managed by Rome who did these things to the Christians and the catacombs. To know that walk through those hallways and to see thousands upon thousands of skulls and crossbones of saints. And to know at the end of those halls there's a cardinal buried. That's not accidental. These are statements the Roman state church are making. Very bold statements. You think they're gross. You get on there and see these three priests guarding some kind of you know, door and wall. And you, you want to go, what's behind that door? You don't want to know. These, they're speaking very boldly about something. But now, most of us Christians want to keep our head in the sand. We don't want to hear about that stuff. These fetishes are demonic-empowered objects. Nothing more, nothing less. Tozer himself said, Idolatry begins in the mind, and as you know, comes from there. You know, your eyes can play tricks on you. Well, if your eyes can play tricks on you, I would think that demonic empowered beings could play tricks on you. To where you really saw a fiery cross in the sky. It could have been a demonic empowered experience. Who knows? But any church that uses the cross like a stabbing stake or fakes blood coming out of it or the list goes on and on from there because I found thousands upon thousands of pictures of self-proclaimed bleeding statues. Thousands. I went, it's just fruitless to research this.
Here's the symbol, peace symbol I was telling you about. For many centuries, the idea of the cross and the action of Christ's crucifixion have been considered as if they were an ongoing living reality. So the cross appears to be alive. Well, since Satan knows that, he's going to use that. You see, Jesus Christ is not interested in flaunting his cross. He's interested in flaunting, making famous the power of resurrection. That's what he's interested in. But see, earthlings, we're into superstition. Some of us carry, you know, the, what, what, what was it in the 50s? So you reached in your pocket and it was a rabbit's foot. And some people have their, their lucky socks. Some people have their, you know, the list goes on and 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 on. It's all idolatry. And you think for some reason there's some kind of power in those socks? Who told you you have a better day when you wear your lucky socks? Who told you that you play better when you have your lucky jersey on? Who told you this this garbage? Nobody has to tell you. People are hunting for things they can see, things they can touch, and they breathe life into them. It is idolatry. It's demonic. And it keeps you busy and away from Christ, who really does empower, not objects, people, through salvation. So symbols are a very easy way to lead people astray. So ultimately, symbols will be used to unite religions around the world to form a false sense of peace that will usher in the Antichrist to rule the entire world and its belief system. Here's a very popular one, the yin and the yang. The good side of Satan's tree and the bad side of Satan's tree. They're both evil. They're both part of Satan's tree. You've got Jewish, you have Satanists, you've got Muslim, you've got Christian, you've got, you know, different forms of the yin and the yang. It goes on and on and on. And the whole idea is that you respect other people's symbols. And once you can respect other people's symbols... Because anyone who is willing to sit down and think through just one symbol, there is a very long doctrinal explanation behind that symbol. This is the doctrinal explanation behind this symbol. And it's not accidental that the Catholic Church is putting the cross at the center that all things have to go through the cross. That's not accidental. The symbol of the cross is not what should be up there. Someone tell me, do you see a fish symbol on there? That's insultive to me. But it's a reality to me. When push comes to shove, Christianity, true into what Christianity, is going into non-existence, not coexistence. We're not on the list of religions to be accepted. 
That should scream something to you. We got the upside down cross people. We have the upside right cross people. So I'm here to tell you today, do your own research. Please text me. Do not call me. I cannot take all these calls. But this is a calling number. I need to have you text me on this number. 602-292-2982. Text me on that number. Or you can email me at drphinnei at iomamerica.org. Dr. Finney at iomamerica.org. Email me your questions or your curiosity. But the simple fact is, for some reason, the cross started with the Roman State Church and it's ending with the Roman State Church. It's been used to persecute, to stab, to destroy, to beat, to execute for many, many, many years. It is not the symbol of the cross that sets us free. It is Jesus Christ that sets us free. And if there's any symbol connected with that, it would be a phrase that Jesus used. Peter, for I will make you fishers of men. So the symbol of the fish seemed to be very important to our early forefathers in Christianity. And the cross did seem to be quite offensive. Now I put this small clause in there. Please don't be afraid to talk about the cross. Please don't be afraid to to continue to draw the symbol of the cross. Please don't be, you know, paranoid that you should never use or make use of the symbol of the cross. That is not what I'm saying at all. I will continue to sketch pictures. I will continue to do, you know, graphic artwork on the internet. I will continue to use my favorite cross up in the corner of my PowerPoint because I am communicating our co-death with Jesus Christ. When I want to communicate our co-death burial and ascension with Jesus Christ, I need to focus on the power and life of Jesus Christ. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just wash the baby and I think you'll be fine. Next week, we are going to talk about the ways that we actually can reject the mystic symbols of the cross. Because there are some practical things we can do. And so, for example, when you see someone with a cross t-shirt, never assume. Use it as an opportunity to say, tell me about the cross on your t-shirt. And let it lead into a discussion that could actually lead him to Christ. So we need to talk about the proper balance of rejecting the mystic aspects of the, of the cross and embrace the real aspects of the cross. Here is our identity statement for today. The foregoing symbols are nothing less than an abominable replacement of the Lord our Savior, Husband, Jesus Christ, with an idealized 
idolatrous concept of the cross. They must be regarded as false teaching. And if you look in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, you're going to see that there's a big thing that Paul makes about these false teachers who are using the terminology of Christians are using to deceive. The cross is an inward reality that matches the finished work of Jesus Christ that happens to occur through the horrific executing instrument of the Roman state terrorists of Jesus' day. Because they were. As you listen to the news and hear about some of the things that are happening to the Christians with what Muslims are doing, and you almost get sick to your stomach, kind of take that back to Jesus' day, because that's what was going on. The Romans were like the modern terrorist of today. Makes you sick to your stomach. It's not a fashionable symbol to, to gold plate. It is, it is a symbol of execution, but we need to remember it and respect it as such. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.